cannabis law is a very new area and evolving area, if I might say myself, of practice. And since 2010, cannabis lawyer Thomas Howard has been researching and writing on the federal and state cannabis laws. You know Tom Howard from Cannabis Legalization News, which is one of the best sources of news and cannabis-related discussion that there is out there. Uh, just really quick, you can find them on CannabisLegalizationNews.com and on YouTube and the rest. Um, he's frequently published on various issues that the cannabis industry faces and has represented financial and cannabis institutions in the new and complicated industry. Tom, welcome back to the show. Hey, Cole, thank you so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate what you guys are doing over at Illinois and, uh, you know, helping people understand what's going on in the cannabis area. Yeah, yeah, we try. We try to bring in people like you that that are actually, you know, versed in stuff and that... So thank you for sure. setting aside time, you know, and coming on, uh, setting aside time in your busy day to come on our show. So I know I said we could find Cannabis Legalization News at CannabisLegalizationNews.com, but can you tell us quickly where else can we find Cannabis Legalization News? Because I know you're on a lot of platforms. Yeah, I mean, like if you just Google uh, Cannabis Legalization News, we're one of the first results on that, but uh, CannabisLegalizationNews.com is. And then uh, if you go to if you search for cannabis news on YouTube, we're result one for that. And so you'll find us. We have a little logo. It's a picture of a pot leaf and a couple of gavels on it. Uh, we put on like 7,000 subs last month. We hit a tear. And so like right now, we have not yet been uh, flagged. And so if you do work for Google or um, uh, uh, YouTube, please reach out. We'd love to understand how stuff works there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we have a great a great amount of fun. And then we talk a lot about the industry. Uh, last week we did a, a live and I tried to catch on that uh, lawyer cat filter trend that was going <laughs> <Solid>. around. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea like, you know, what a time to be alive. That poor lawyer that was caught as a cat filter. I couldn't find that specific cat filter, but I was able to rig up our uh, feed to include a, uh, a cat filter. So I did the show as a cat, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> But because like if you're talking about the cannabis law uh, at that level, uh, it kind of helps to be a cat because it doesn't make any sense that a cat would have a law degree and tell you about like cannabis laws, especially like if you are from the future and like you have an education on cannabis and you're looking at like this makes no sense. Yeah, that's why a cat's <laughs> explaining it. Yeah, um, because like that's one of the things about the future that I think we really need a lot of. And so I'm on the cannabis um, ISBA section council, and we get to see the amendments that come through on the cannabis laws. And one of them had to do with uh, education. And I think it's a great one. So we need to expand this aspect of the cannabis uh, legalization and licensing process to help mitigate the, um, the ongoing stigma against this plant, mostly as a result of ignorance of the endocannabinoid system. And like people just don't know what it is. And yeah. so we should, we should teach that in schools. Uh, that's, that's one way to very quickly uh, invert the relationship between cannabis and alcohol, where the more preferred recreational substance of choice in the next decade with that type of education would clearly be cannabis. Right. So, yeah, I just got to give you I got to say congratulations to you, Miggy and Lauren uh, for two years uh, at Cannabis Legalization News. I saw that you guys have, uh, were celebrating two years. Is that right? Yeah, our podcast turned two. I started doing YouTube approximately three years ago um, in February of 2018, and I was working for the, the large bank firm at the time. 
you know, the only cannabis clients that I really had at that time, you know, might've been a few financial institutions that were curious about uh, the feasibility of banking cannabis. And I would give them presentations as to compliance with uh, FinCEN guidance and suspicious activity reports and other best practices and policies. I mean, if I would have created it more as a consulting product of like how to, as opposed to a legal product of watch out for this, might've gotten away with a few more customers. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. And that's really kind of how I got into uh, advising cannabis clients. They were the financial institutions. So, but how did you get to that? I want to kind of take us all the way back to, you know, to when you first started practicing law. Like, can I ask you when you, before you started practicing law, like, did you, was it, did you, let me put it this way. Did you find cannabis by coincidence or were you already puffing on it when you, when you oh, got into law? Oh, when I got out, I, I spent law school smoking pot and writing books. And so yeah. um, uh, my buddies in law school were Jamaican and Cayman Islanders. And then I had a publisher. And so um, we smoked a lot of weed. Yeah, and, so you had a good time in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, and then I got out of law school. And then, you know, uh, now that I'm out of law school, I was becoming a stockbroker because I really enjoy finance. And so um, I was taking, I was going to try to use my JD, maybe do some compliance and then kind of work your way up into uh, aspects of securities that you could eventually try to help people raise money. And then, you know, I, I really enjoyed options and stuff. Uh, but there was the 2008 crisis and I had a whole bunch of student loan debt. And so I moved back to Illinois and took the bar. And then I wrote a book in 2010 about the constitutionality of the cannabis laws or the lack thereof. And um, then I published that self published. I mean, you can't really find a copy anymore. I have a few, like there's like the way that, cause it was my third book that I published. And so I went kind of art house, like, fuck it. Like, I don't want this. Like, I mean, they aren't going to list it on Amazon. It was 2010. Mm -hmm. Like the name of the book was Satan's smoke and it has uh, <laughs> ripped off of like, you know, the, what was reefer madness kind of posters, you know? And yeah. so it was like uh, the, the whole aspect of the stigma. And then we used that stigma to just railroad a whole bunch of people. And um, <laughs> as, as illegally as you can, you know, in my opinion, but uh, it's still the law. And that's why one of the reasons why so some people will say social equity is probably unconstitutional because uh, how are we going to fix this discrimination in the cannabis industry through more discrimination? And so um, uh, they could make that argument, but it doesn't matter because the argument for uh, the constitutionality of the cannabis laws has been there for, for years. Unconstitutional laws stay on the books for decades and they yeah. are enforced. And so um, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right, but at least there might be a lot more people that uh, reflect the diversity of the population owning in the industry as opposed to uh, very wealthy, connected white men. Yeah. So how did you... So you finished law school, but did you just, was it a natural transition to start looking into, so 2010, I'm trying to think about, you know, what was going on and like, how did you start to get uh, so versed on these regulations that you were uh, helping folks with, you know, you, you uh, have a question? 
Uh, yeah, the first the stuff that I did in 2010 was just like more federal theoretical, like why is it the little uh, valid constitutionally or, or why should it be invalidated constitutionally? And so yeah. like we kind of advise, well, we kind of reviewed all those types of things. The first constitution, well, the, the first cannabis uh, prohibition was actually deemed unconstitutional in 69. The current one that we have really isn't. And then the, the version that we have currently is a reflection of the evolution of the Commerce Clause and other bullshit that Congress uses to inflate its power levels. And so, um, you know, it, it gets into the constitutionality of the disparate impact on the people that are getting injured. Uh, and then the, uh, the rational basis with bite test towards these types of things, which is it's a seemingly uh, commercial regulation where it's just an utter prohibition of cannabis and they call it marijuana and whatnot, but still right. that is at its core commercial regulation. The regulation is none. Uh, and then, of course, through the enforcement thereof, uh, it is just even even though they have normal usage, it's lopsided with who gets the, the brunt of the burden. And then you get back to what was your origin story of this uh, of this purported commercial regulation racism. OK, right. at any time did they ever look into it to see if this this racism was valid? No, they, they did some science, but then they just threw the science away. Great. And so like the, the chutzpah of, of Congress uh, with what they did, and then it's still being considered to be uh, legal and a political issue is uh, why I wrote that one. And, you know, I, I still give it away on the show on cannabis legalization news occasionally. And I guess well, and I, I really see it on sale. I see it on sale on Amazon right oh, now. Good. The case of USV Yerbus. Yeah. One rogue. <laughs> right. Home row. By, and that was one of the things with and I should try to list both of them. Uh, on Amazon at the same time, side by side, uh, simply because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of an experimenter at heart. And, and I was reading um, books about the same book, but the only thing they would do is they'd rip off the cover and like change its title and cover. Yeah. And, and if you do that, like the book that you worked so freaking hard on and all that, you rip off the title of the cover, you put on something else, it might sell like 10 times or a hundred times more than what you title it or inverted. Like yeah, you know, those people go again, judging books by their covers. Oh, only like 80% <laughs> of people. <laughs> right. Sorry. Cheesy joke. Yeah, it is, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. And so that was what I was doing in 2010. And then um, the weed blog reviewed the book. Uh, I think Johnny green did the article on that. And that's how I met Miggy. And then, you know, I, I had to stop promoting it in 2011 when I got the, the grown up job to pay off my student debt. And then, uh, well, it was Illinois. It's Illinois was not Colorado. I mean, if I was in Colorado, it would have been different. But yeah, I still had a pile of student debt and, and other crap. So um, that was that was 2010. And that's where I found Miggy or Miggy found me, whatever. Uh, and then by like 2011 or 2012, Miggy had started sharing some dank memes on Facebook. And I'm like, hey, man, I got this this Facebook page from like that book that I wrote a few years ago that I can't promote no more. Uh, do you want to share your dank memes on that? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's the marijuana prohibitions unconstitutional page on Facebook. That's been shadow banned since like 2015 or yeah, six. Plug the link on that so people can get to it. Yeah. That's the only way you can you just go to facebook.com and then you pop in a backslash and write free THC and hit enter and you'll go right cool. to it. And so Those yeah, fuckers. Facebook dot com shadow banning <laughs> yeah well uh what happened was miggy starts sharing these dank memes on there and there was maybe like ten thousand people that had liked it 
Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly it flies up to like 300,000 people that start liking it like by 2015. <laughs> and then eventually it gets to the censor at Facebook and they're like, oh, hell no. And then boom, you know, you're, you're siloed. And yeah. it's just been basically flatlined. It started to grow again because of the cannabis legalization news uh, YouTube channel, but it's still pretty slow. It's about 306,000 likes now. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yep. It is, so, it's a funny industry, man. So you started with the Facebook page and just along the way, as these states started to adopt new laws, I think it, when was it that Colorado did it? Was it like 2014 yeah. or 2010? Uh, well, 2010 is really kind of like the dawn of the, the industry as it is now, kind of. Uh, and so that was when all the states, like 29, 2010, um, and 2009. And so that's when some of the states is more legacy medical markets started to get up and going. We're talking mm -hmm. like not necessarily Seattle in the 90s and whatnot, but where they started to get more regulating for sale as opposed to the grow and the gives. And the yeah. grow and the give, that, that stayed in, in Massachusetts, not Massachusetts, Michigan, for example, for a, a, a long time more. I mean, until like, I think 2016 was when they started doing medical dispensaries there. They yeah, call yeah. them provisioning centers. And I mean, the culture is still really around. Uh, it's slowly fading out, especially I think COVID kind of put a damper on it, you know, but the culture is still around. Not that it's legal, you know, but yeah, anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's a good culture of growers in, in Michigan. So that's something that I think Illinois really kind of screwed the pooch on by yeah. not having that type of caregiver relationship where you could have uh, an economy being supported and then you could regulate that much more easily to have lower level growers all the way up to your Crescos if you want those. But um, yeah, and so that's that's where the, the industry really started. And then it started to get kind of more jacked or amped in 2015 when Seattle, not Seattle, Washington State and uh, Colorado went full wreck. Uh, and then, you know, it's only really been five years of full wreck and those granddaddies of states now, like they're pretty much it's well, 15 states. That's not bad. I mean, like Illinois, um, South Dakota actually got denied on it, but they tried it. Arizona, New Jersey, uh, it's it's really going to pick up. I think another five to 10 states will probably legalize in the next four years. Yeah, it's really crazy when you look at the map of who has medical and who has adult use and, and really how, you know, far, it is, you know, really across the nation at this point. I mean, I think Mississippi just did something, voted to pass yeah. medical. Is that correct? Mississippi post uh yeah, they, they legalized medical by uh, quite a healthy margin, I want to say. It was like over 60 or 65 percent. And um, that was by voter initiative. So cannabis is the most bipartisan popular issue out there. And then it's so popular that the only problem is they just can't figure out how to uh, agree on how it should be done, I guess. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you. And I don't know that there is an answer to this or, or maybe uh, like a complex answer to this but um it, it's interesting to me that like a lot of the standards seems seem to carry over state by state and i think that's because we're just learning you know from each other but um when did we start to see standards like a you know an ounce possession limit and a hundred milligram i think the hundred milligram edibles came around when adult use originally launched in Colorado and Washington because people were eating cookies thinking it'd be a pleasant little cookie, you know, cute little cookie. And then they ended up in freaking, you know, cruising altitude, 30,000 feet. So um, I think I remember where that came from, you know, the hundred, the 10 milligram serving hundred milligram limit or whatever, but where did some of these other things come from? Um, 
Uh, okay. Well, somebody had to start regulating it first. Right. And um, that's probably where they started to arise. And then they had to start asking like, well, how much is enough for people? And they had to come up with some type of standardization after that. And it turns out uh, Colorado probably had it for the longest uh, and they would do like 25 milligram uh, edible medical doses of, of um, you know, divisions. So like, so you could have a 25 milligram gummy, uh, but then that would, that would mean that it's a medical gummy. And so mm-hmm. for adult use, they're trying to titrate your dosage more. So people have uh, fewer worse experiences. I mean, I had some homemade brownies over the weekend and I had some glasses of wine before I got into the brownies. So I was a little bit more cavalier with the brownies than I should have been. Ooh. And, um, and so I slept real good that night and, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And then the next morning I woke up and I'm like, Whoa, those homemade brownies of mine are good. That is yeah. how you retri- recycle that trim everybody. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so that's what the regulators were trying to avoid. Uh, people that, I mean, I, I have a good tolerance for edibles, but a lot of people do not have my tolerance for edibles. Some people that don't have my tolerance for edibles will remind me that while I'm laughing at them and accusing them of being a (laughs) sissy. And, um, and that's, that's just kind of how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I think that's why they started to adopt those styles of milligram restriction and requirements just so that it makes it easier. I mean, like if you're making yeah. extract and it comes out in the gram, you know, you're already in metric and then you just, and you realize that the average person, you know, you get 20 milligrams in them and they're probably pretty baked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And really my question was about like the, it's a little bit about the edibles, but also about possession limit. Like, I, I just think it's, I don't know. I always feel like Seinfeld when I ask this question I, and I don't even know if it's, if it's Seinfeld is the comedian that I'm referencing, but I'm always like, isn't it weird that, that cause like with possession limits, for example, it, it seems weird that we're like, yes, cannabis is legal, but only to a certain amount. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, it's just, it's interesting to me. And uh, so I've yeah. always just, go like, ahead. Imagine in Prohibition, when that ended, and they're like, you can now have six beers. <laughs> right, right, okay. exactly. Uh, that's not what happened. But then that's still what happens. And then why do they feel like they need to arrest people for this plant? It's like whenever they legalize it in any particular area, it's like, don't forget to legalize it in such a way that we can still arrest people for this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always like to look up Illinois laws and penalties on normal to tell people that, you know, if you're just plain old adult use, you know, just a regular person, if you have more than 30 grams uh, for the first offense, it, you know, you could just get a misdemeanor right. up to a year incarceration and a $2,500 fine. But the second offense of having 31 grams and look, I, that's a hypothetical that may right. not, you know, hold up, but, but let's, by all means, this is how the law reads. You could end up with a felony one to three years and $25,000 maximum fines. So I always ask the question, is cannabis really legal? <laughs> you know? It's not. And then so like the other with these possession limits, you know, and I always make fun of this in the show uh, with the all the vodka, uh, you know, mockery that I'll do. It's like I can go buy all the vodka, not not a bottle of it, not two bottles, like all of it. The only thing the only thing that's stopping you is your credit card, right? The balance in your credit card. (laughs) Maybe also like, again, I've never done this. 
I kind of, it, it sounds like it might make some good content. So I might be like, I'm going to go now. Uh, I just bought uh, an ounce. Right. And, and so like, right. how much is an, like an ounce is 300 or so. And I, I might not be able to get away with filming that depending on how much the uh, dispensary is objecting to it or, or sure. let me or not let me be like there. I just turned $340 into an ounce of weed. How much vodka does that make? And then just start dumping bottles. Oh. into. I mean, like how many bottles of vodka can I buy for an ounce of weed? You know, what well, are they to, trying to push you to do? Yeah. Well, and to wrap back around to the subject of uh, potency limits on edibles. And we've even seen, uh, I read a story last week of a Colorado uh, representative that's advocating for THC limits in, in just regular cannabis. You know, I think he was right. advocating for like 15% or something. I just, it, it like uh, just again, to compare it to alcohol, like, there's nothing stopping me from buying uh, Everclear, which which could kill me. I mean, right. I could drink two shots and it could could send me into anaphylactic shock or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just it's uh, like you say, it's interesting how they structure the canvas laws. A little bit of it is looking out for people, like you say. I mean, that is I think that's truly in the, the intention behind the edible one, by the way, right. you know, trying to titrate people we don't want people to have a negative experience we don't want people to just be like high for days on end which can can happen right oh, yeah. so i see the good intentions behind it but behind that specifically maybe but the rest of it, it especially with cultivation of cannabis I, I think it's crazy uh you talk about cultivation i think it's crazy that um medical patients you know yes it's great that we're allowed to have five plants or less I think the the law reads five plants over five inches. So maybe you could start like some seedlings or whatever, if you want to well, get early. I, I just, I just harvested my first plant that was under five inches. Uh, it was hilarious. I had a, a gnat infestation and so it's root structure got stunted and it was just an auto flower. <laughs> and so it, it just never uh, matured properly. And so it was always less than five inches and it just essentially will turn <laughs> out to be like a, a single nugget that might be about an eighth to a quarter tops. And, uh, and it was less than five inches. So in theory, I could like, you know, try to breed for that where it's just going to come up immediately start flowering and finish less than five inches. Yeah. Uh, I could just print that like all day and be like, what? No, none of those are cannabis plants. I don't care what exactly. you think they are. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's always a f interesting thing too. Like, uh, you know, what is? I think it's interesting that the legal definition of what is cannabis and what is hemp is just a number uh, on the THC level. Like, it is the same plant, the same genus, the, th the same species. Yep. Um, but you know, legally, we've classified it as a different plant. Gotta love that. Um, yeah, but, I'm look, not sure if there's any other plant that does that. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how. Uh, yeah, I don't know of any other plant that we treat. We do that with. So, um, I mean, I guess, you know, you could argue that, you know, the whole crack cocaine thing was a little bit like the way they enforce that. I don't know if you've, you're aware of that, but like, I guess I don't know if this is the same now, but if you were caught with like crack cocaine as opposed to powder cocaine back in the day, even though they're the same thing which we're not talking about plants at this point. We're talking about no. chemical structures. Um, there were different penalties for, yeah. for each. So, but that was the nineties tough on crime. Those were the crime. Yeah. yeah. Right. The crime so, those, those types of disparities. But yeah, the point I was going to make about growing is that even with a medical card, if you, let's say that, you know, you grow six plants, well, technically you're in felony territory. 
That's right. Even though you're a medical card holder. And then let's say that you are complying, but then you have ounces and you're like, I got to get rid of some of this weed and you give it to somebody. That's not against, that's, that's against the rules. You can't grow and give. And so like, you know, you can eat it easily with five plants, have an adequate supply of medicine, unless you're really sick and like you need four grams of RSO a day. Mm -hmm. But the amount of people that need four grams of RSO a day are so few and far between, you know, Uh, But then still like people will be like, well, I'm only allowed to have an ounce. I'm like, no, you have a medical card. You're allowed to have your supply. Granted, it has to be like in a lockbox and you're not allowed to leave your house with it, but you can go over that ounce if you have a medical card and you grew it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 one thing a lot of people don't know. I'm glad you just brought that up uh, because it's good to tell people that they're they're concerned. They're like, "How how can I grow five plants but stay under two and a half ounces? Don't worry about that. But you do have to do a a few things to kind of uh, ensure you're complying with the law. So, um, yeah, it's it's annoying, isn't it? uh, You can go ahead. I said uh, all those things that you have to understand, like, you know, those the, the things that even contradict with other things, the complexities of the cannabis laws. When you when you are a person that appreciates and understands and has real personal knowledge and experience with the cannabis plant for like usage cultivation for years. All you think about is like the people that are regulating this are nuts and know absolutely nothing about this plant. Why are they the ones that are still making rules? Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, Before we get back to, I wanted to ask you a few questions about like coming up, you know, in your law career with cannabis. But before we get back to that, I just wanted to ask you about something else that I had heard um, actually from Kelvin McCabe, who serves as a member of the board of directors, or he's a board of, he's on the board of directors for normal um, in Illinois. And one of the things he had pointed out on the medical cannabis community, which is a Facebook page um, was that penalties for transportation of cannabis actually increased going into adult use. So before adult use, AKA 2020, Um, In 2019, we had cannabis decriminalized. I believe that Bruce Rauner had passed that and it was uh, 10 grams or less. It was a citable offense. Um, And the, the, I guess, hypothetical scenario he laid out, which actually ended up happening to a few people on our subreddit, um, is that, you know, if you, let's say in 2019, you were pulled over and you had three and a half grams in your pocket. Well, in 2019, that would have just been a citation. Um, nothing, you know, on your criminal record and uh, you pay it, you're good to go. Right. There, maybe there's other things to it, but the point is, is that it was, you know, nothing that was going to stick with you nowadays, that same scenario, which like we've seen, we, or like I was saying, we've seen play out. You have that three and a half grams in your pocket. They can technically hit you with transporting cannabis incorrectly, which lands you with a class a misdemeanor. Um, of course. Oh, yeah. They can still arrest you. Yeah. That's totally yeah. legal. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So yes, it is. It's it's crazy. And then you think about it, and you go like, "This is progress." All right, and that's one of the reasons why I'm like, "Yeah, I get to see all these uh, amendments that come through in the ISBA's Section Council for Cannabis Law. That is just going to be nonstop. Like every year, this law is going to get amended and amended and amended. But it's not legal." until it's legal. And so like, you know, this, this still isn't legalized. This is a highly regulated form of it, 
which is still creating a lot of the same problems that we legalized it to avoid. Yeah. Here's the way I think about it. Like, I, I, and I know I get a little how licenses work. Or, I'm not going to say I totally get it, but here's the way I really look at it. What they did was they legalized the sale of cannabis. You think about like the vans they send to all these dispensaries filled with ounces and ounces. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, only, they'll only give you about 30 a pop, you know, cause that's the possession limit. But at the end of the day, that's all they did really was legalized a point of sale for cannabis. Um, no more, no less, you know, so. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of the law has the word purchaser in it, you know, as opposed to possessor, it's the purchaser. So like, I thought I was, and again, I haven't read the law in a bit, but I remember recall reading it and I'm like, oh, they say the purchaser is allowed to have this. Wait a minute. So does that mean that if I buy a joint and I pass it to a guy who didn't buy it, he's not the purchaser. Is that illegal? Is that guy now like smoking an illegal joint? I'm like, hey, give it back, give it back, give it back. I'm the purchaser. Right. I can smoke my joint. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, the law is definitely written in a lot of weird ways. And uh, I, I've always had that question come up as well. And of course, the question has kind of gone away with COVID because people aren't passing the, hopefully not passing the joints anymore. They're going nowhere. They're right, all doing right. podcasts. Like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all doing podcasts. Exactly. So that's hilarious. Yeah. The number so of podcasts that are going to go away in like the summer of 2021 is a lot. Yeah, I I hope not, man. I like hearing everybody's perspective. I I, I this is really cool, honestly, the podcasting thing because you think about like the T. I'm gonna sound old, and I'm but anyways, the TV. Like you can't really get on the TV, but you know anybody can get on on a podcast. You can start. Anybody can start a podcast. Everybody's proven that, right? And um, you're on everybody's phones. Technically, you're on people's TVs because Spotify yeah. and other streaming apps. And YouTube. I think it's really cool. Yeah, YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I was on a podcast uh, yesterday with um, like four of the Mr. Grow. Well, Mr. Grow was one of them. Pigeons 420 was another. And then Rob from CLTV. Oh, nice. uh, Cannabis Lifestyle TV. And so, like, yeah. you know, all of them are great. They all have like hundreds of thousands. Well, I think they all have like over a hundred thousand subs on their main channels. And then they have various channels. Like they do that stuff professionally and the, how good they are at like video production and how much I just am like, what? Wow. That's, (laughs) you guys are like real YouTubers. Yeah. Well, I have to say, man, just, you know, uh, your show is very professional, very well put together. Uh, I think it's Lauren, maybe that's behind the scenes, pulling the strings or whatever, but whoever it is, they're doing a damn good job, man. It feels very professional. feels like a real show. Um, I'm not saying it's not, but you know what I mean? Like, it feels like a, a a broadcast. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where it evolved into. And yeah, like Lauren works behind the scene producing and she'll book uh, the, the guests when we have guests and and then pull the uh, the news stories so we know what news stories to go over. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so like, and then it's, uh, the business has picked up a lot. And so like, I've been doing a lot of work and then that means that I'm not able to make like other videos and stuff, but you know, one step at yeah. a time. Yeah, I want to get I want to get to some of the things that you're that are keeping you busy at this point. But really quick, I do want to give another shout out to Lauren. She was on a po- on our podcast recently, and so folks, if you haven't checked that out, check that out because 
Lauren's awesome. In the future, we're all we've had Tom, Lauren, and Miggy all on. If you guys haven't heard that episode, it's the cannabis legalization news episode. We had them all on, but we're having them each individually on. I want them to be able to kind of tell their story. Um, so, anyways, um, uh, what was I gonna say? So, yeah, what have been some of the challenges in this venture? I imagine the reason I was asking about the rules and you know, how we're adopting them state by state and everything else. Um, we still see a lot of change. So I imagine some of the challenges have been just the morphological nature of these laws, but yeah, what have been some of your challenges getting into this, man? Oh gosh. I mean, it's all over the map where the challenges are. First, you have to get used to the industry as you get into it. Um, it's a fire hose. And so like, it is just so much different information about so many different things that you may or may not know of, uh, depending on how much exposure to the industry you already have. And so it hurts. I mean, like it's just months of getting up to speed. Uh, uh, and then once you're at that level, then, you know, it's more about screening, you know, bullshit artists from, uh, good people. And, uh, and then you have to spend a few months doing that. Um, and then, uh, then you you actually have like a lot of clients that you're helping or like leads that you're passing on because you're like, no, bro, no. And then um, <laughs> uh, and so then you start getting some clients that you help. And then, of course, they're all over the map. And so you have to make sure that no matter what, like it's all the fundamentals are the same. And so you have to be the person that the state is hiring for the job of getting that cannabis license. You have to be right for it. So you have to put together the right team. You have to like find out what the tenants or law are and like do that. Like you, the state is thrilled to have you as their, their representative in this because, and then you build out that story for that particular team. And then of course, depending on how onerous the regulations are, you have to build an application that's compliant to them because that application is a license. It is a condition of your ability to be able to do that sale of weed. And the, the more fucked up thing is the, you know, adult industry or any other legal cannabis industry is essentially a license predicated on top of a license. Uh, very often consultants will issue uh, agreements and contracts that contain licenses for the contents of the narrative and the other stuff in the application that becomes the winning uh, uh, application that becomes the license. And so now they have a license upon a license. Uh, and then that is what's actually really running the cannabis game. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, that whole, uh, a lot of IP help you a lot of IP. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just on the, you know, uh, on the note of licenses, I know that's what's keeping you busy right now. Uh, am I correct in thinking that the 10 day, notices came out for craft growers or what what's going on with craft growers right now well those ones had to be due a week ago and so craft growers they uh they got crapped on pretty good and i think what happened to the craft growers is essentially a foreshadowing of the rescore for the dispensary because what happened to the craft growers for all intents and purposes really looked like a rescore and the state came out with a an outline of like, this is what we are looking for. These are the sections they're supposed to be in. Yours was missing something or other. And if they do that exactly for the dispensary thing, uh, that's effectively a rescore. And so some people that were out there that got consultants and whatnot that did more generic uh, applications as opposed to compliance-based applications, um, 
they got dinged real hard. And so that, and then the, the risk, the, the 10 day notices that the craft growers got were so amorphous and complex that you could have spent 20, 30 hours uh, responding to them easily. Uh, and so we did several uh, and I did a webinar about how to go about organizing and responding to them to the best of your ability, because there was a lot of not understanding and knowing and having to use, you know, your deduction uh, to try to comply with what the state is requesting. And, and that's really the whole name of the game, no matter where you're trying to get in is, are you complying? Are you the one that is right for the state? Are you trying to work with them? Are you the trustworthy one? Are you the one that's, they, they throw it around all the time, the above and beyond. But <laughs> so just to, from an outsider's perspective, you know, because some people just hear that, you know, the application for the license and the license, you know, they don't really understand what goes into it. Am I correct in thinking that some of the things that go into it is you have to lay out like a security plan, how much water oh, yeah. you might your use? Application, your application was about a thousand pages. All right. Wow. So you have a thousand pages of documentation that it says to the state of Illinois or your particular state, uh, this is my cannabis operation. These things, uh, this is what we're doing. That's why we said that it's a condition of our license. Uh, that's one of the reasons why all those regulations have to be in there because it's a condition of your license. And they're also trying to make sure they're screening for people that can't afford to do that. Yeah. And so here, this is really difficult for you to put together. Very difficult for you to put together. If you can't do that, you're not getting the license. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. It, that's very interesting. Thank you for breaking that down. So um, what, what do you, what are you, or sorry, what is coming next for that? Um, process like what, the what? second step for the growers. So the second step for the Department of Agriculture is coming up, and now uh, the Department of Agriculture, when they hit those ten-day notices in January twenty-sixth or whatever, um, they updated their web page. And so check the web pages; they will update. Uh, and and then they said there's going to be this second step uh, where the state will then start moving forward on the non-scored elements of the application, including, you know, your fingerprints and your zoning, which because the coronavirus was starting to break out when they were taking them, they kind of kicked and punted on. They said, hey, if you don't have your zoning, or you don't have your fingerprints, don't worry about it right now. We'll give you a notice in the future. So that one is coming. And then also your financial notice. And so now they're going to really start screening the applicants for uh, the ones that are actually gonna be able to hit that six month operation window. They're gonna make sure that you have that zoning. They're gonna make sure that you have that uh, plan build out, ready to go with all those contractors. Just give them a call, they'll be there on Tuesday. And they're gonna make sure that you actually have the money lined up. I think they're gonna make sure you actually have the money lined up. Some, a lot of the time you know, people will be awarded licenses and they're still raising the money. <laughs> it's yeah. true. That's interesting. Um, so, and what, what about the dispensary licenses? What do you think is next? Uh, yeah, that was one. That's one of the reasons why this past Tuesday at around uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, I was a little nervous. And so uh, what happened was the 10 days for the uh, growers, which was effectively a rescore in my book, came out on a Tuesday at around 1 p.m. in the afternoon, which means that they gave the applicants the maximum possible time to hit a deadline of the next Friday. Because the way that the 10 days are, are written, they give you the next day. So like you go, you count the next day as one and then you go to 10. Mm -hmm. And so if it comes out on a Tuesday, it means it's due on Friday. And then um, so you have a whole weekend and the next one to work on it. 
And then I think that the, the state likes that because it they get them in the door by that Friday, you know, moving along, right? Checking boxes. And, and I'm worried that next Tuesday or the Tuesday thereafter, uh, we're going to get something similar to the, <laughs> they're going to come nine, out swinging with the dispensary stuff. Yep. 900 dispensaries are going to get hit with that type of rescore. And then I'll do another webinar. This time I'm going to try to have somebody actually do the, um, I did the webinar by myself. And so like I was trying to manage the, the screen and everything while I'm talking. And then I had an employee that quit while I was doing the webinar. Um, <laughs> she was editing the document that I'm trying to sell in the webinar at the same time that I'm talking about it. And I'm like, what do you, why didn't you go to the webinar? I told you it helped you do your job. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Um, so uh, let me think. Um, what was I, what was I just thinking of? So um, with regard to, Oh yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, what brand of coffee do you drink? Cause I'm going to buy some stock in them. Um, oh yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's closely held. Uh, and so <laughs> like uh, the coffee that I drink is from a local roastery here. Uh, they, they roast it maybe about half a mile from my house. And so I am a fairly large coffee snob. I have a, a mill grinder and then a pour over and, uh, and I, and I buy locally fresh roasted coffee. Um, I, I came by locally fresh roasted coffee about 10 years ago and it just totally ruined my life. I'm like, that, that's it. That's it. <laughs> never going and back to full. Never place. going back. <laughs> like you see gas stations. I'm like, no, my car's fine. I don't need, I don't need gas. Coffee. <laughs> you can't buy coffee at a gas station. That is not coffee. Yeah. So you've got a guy for your coffee. That's awesome. <laughs> I have, it's a company. It's called CXT. And then uh, sometimes there's another roastery in Peoria called 3030. Uh, but the CXT one is uh, the, the more up and coming one that has, you know, really stepped up lately and they, they do a great job and they're really close to my house. So uh, if yeah. it was not, if, I mean, it's not just tundra cold out there. It is like Siberia cold. I mean, it's single digit with you know, negative wind chills in the spring. I walk there and get a coffee. It is, it is idyllic. Now it's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, do you guys have like a pretty large body of water near you in Peoria or like, yeah, the Illinois river. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's cold there. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking of. I was over in East Peoria. So, um, which apparently I think we talked about this last time you were on the show, actually, there's a huge difference between Peoria and East Peoria. And it, am I correct in thinking one of the big differences is that Peoria doesn't allow for cannabis dispensaries. Is that still true? No. No, Peoria is big in cannabis dispensaries. And so oh. like Peoria allows it. East Peoria does. Maybe Morton doesn't, but you know. Um, is it cultivation that I'm thinking about that they don't want? There's something that I was told that they don't want in Peoria, but they let it go in East Peoria. No, we got Representative Booth down here. I mean, she was one of the sponsors. Oh, nice. That so I'm pretty sure that, you know, and then there's me that lives here. I'm like, you yeah. know what we need? More weed shops. <laughs> we go down to the Go on the zoning board and say, "Hey, uh, we should start rezoning all these places for weed shops." Come on, Fuck man! Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah! So, on that note, that's a really good segue to me to get back onto my loose agenda. Are you still, or are you at all? I don't mean to say still. I don't mean to like assume that you were, but, but I am kind of assuming that you were. Are you confronted with stigma at all for with being involved with cannabis? Uh, yeah, less and less, but, uh, you know, still sure. And of course, you know, 
I try not to work in Mississippi. Well, I'm going to start working in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. I try not to work in Iowa, for example. I'm not going to go to Iowa and set up an office and be like, I'm just going to take some calls here and sure. uh, you know put a, put a whole bunch of weed flags everywhere. What are you doing? I am actively flouting your laws and the federal laws. Would you like some money? You know, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be doing that. But uh, I'm sure that the stigma is uh, more prevalent in states where it's still the law of the land to uh, have it criminalized. You know, because yeah. yeah, like that's that's one of the amendments to the law that's going through right now. That amendment to the uh, education, so like they'd have to teach the endocannabinoid system in school. That's not in Iowa. Like that's a crime. I mean, they aren't going to teach you. They, you're, you're telling us we need to teach our kids that cocaine is good. And like, no, no, sir, I didn't mention that. I mentioned that we have to teach the kids that they have an endocannabinoid system. That's why medical marijuana works. Right. Just science. Yeah. Just science. Yeah. Like we aren't teaching them they need to take cocaine because it mimics dopamine. We are not telling them that. That's just right. that was you being an idiot and, and like thinking that marijuana is cocaine. Yeah, that's called a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so. or it's, it, that's you can call it a slippery slope if you want, but it's fake, you see. And then yeah, if you say, yeah. we go from here to there, you have to realize there ain't here. You are making a whole bunch of logical fallacies by assuming one step leads to another. So you're speculating on top of speculating. So you take right. fakeness, falsehoods, and then you apply logic to it. And then you have this slippery slope argument that never, ever should have won. Well, and Never. what's funny is that that argument almost reinforced what they were arguing for. So hear me out. I always thought it was interesting that. So now, OK, let me just put it this way. If you as a 21 year old, I just say 21 year old because that's how old you have to be to go to the dispensary. Right. right. Um, go to a dispensary and gr get you a gram of Bubba Kush. I don't know. I'm just throwing a name out there. Delicious. They're, they're not going to also say, hey, would you like to try heroin? You know, they might say, hey, would you like to also try like this concentrate or this other legally regulated product? The point being, if you make things illegal and you make people deal with criminals that are already used, I don't mean to call our legacy dealers criminals, but let's like people that uh, do not care about the law and i was right there with them again i'm not knocking these people but people that don't care about the law tend to not care about other areas of the law and so maybe they start to decide to sell other things right and so mm -hmm. like their whole gateway drug argument it, it was almost like a reinforcing it's like a catch-22 thing like you have yeah. to provide a, a regulated source for these things you can't that's the other thing about it i said a 20, 21 year old you know the drug dealers don't card kids right no, that's no, how no. high schoolers get it's it was actually easier for me to get marijuana as a high schooler than it was to get alcohol. Isn't that oh. weird? Uh, again, yeah. Drug dealers don't card. Yeah, they don't card at all. <laughs> yeah, but so. that's that's the issue. And so as they and then that's also with the legalization. And so they've made the industry so difficult to access and get into that. You really can't get out of the illicit market game if that's what you're in. Like there's going to be yeah. that illicit market for weed because you're not allowing that illicit market to go anywhere else. Right. So um, what just to kind of get back to uh, questions about, you know, your pursuit and law and everything what have been some of, i was just asking you about you know have you been confronted uh with stigma what have been some of the challenges what have been some of the really cool things that have come out of this 
oh, like the laws actually change. I mean, like that $30 million that showed up for reinvesting in Illinois, that's great. I mean, like I realize that not one license has been handed out and social equity seems like it's kind of, been, you know, uh, failed the launch, but uh, that's real tax money that's going to the people. And, and I like that they can use that tax dollar for reinvestment purposes into the municipalities and into the, the localities that were hurt the most by the, the war on drugs. Uh, that's been really nice to see. I mean, I mean, it's been great to see home grow. And so the culture is going to, I think, just liberalize more as more and more people uh, realize and understand the harmlessness, for lack of a better term, uh, that this plant has. And, it, and it's just, it's a beautiful plant and that makes really nice flowers that we seem to enjoy. Uh, I don't really think that it merits the type of regulations that it has to go through right now, but those regulations to change are going to take decades. Yeah. Can I ask you to, to speculate? And if you don't want to, that's fine. Um, do you think that what we're seeing right now is by design? And, and by that, I mean, um, you know, the dispensary license is not being awarded. The craft cultivation license is not being licenses not being awarded? Oh, I think a lot of it has to do with the coronavirus. I think it would have been delayed anyway due to complexity of the issues and how complex the regulations and the enterprises are for legal cannabis in uh, regulated states like Illinois. So there would have been inherent delays, but those delays I think were extremely exacerbated by the coronavirus to the tune of at least six months of that delay that happened was probably directly related to it. And so as it goes away, uh, and the state opens back up, you know, all these municipalities are hurting from lack of tax revenue because people just have not been able to go out. And uh, that, that means they all want that revenue. And so they're going to want more dispensaries. And then if they educate the people more, they're going to be reaching for cannabis uh, more than they're going to be reaching for Budweiser. And that's, that's good. And so those types of revenues are just going to continue to go up. I wouldn't be surprised if we do I mean, we almost did a billion dollars last year in Illinois. I, I don't know if we'll double in 2021, but it wouldn't surprise me if we grow by 50% and we do like $1.5 billion worth of business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think 2022 um, is going to be when it really starts to uh, get open. Uh, and then that's when you're going to see the second round as well come out. And the first round uh, winners start opening their stores and start having new brands and new uh, cannabis products come to the shelves. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to all that. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you another speculative question. Not that this one really matters. It's just a fun one to ask. Um, do you think that you'll see dispensaries open doors first or craft growers plant seeds first? Uh, probably dispensaries opening doors first. There's a lot of dispensaries that are out there just baked and wet and ready. I mean, like there's a lot of real estate that people know it's zoned right. And like, there's a lot of people that are out there just like, Hey, if we win the license, great, let's go. If we don't win the license, let's start marketing this place to somebody you did and see if we can get a tenant. Yeah. What do you so think, think they're about gonna open up pretty quick, but then they, they're just going to have legacy product until, you know, a year from now or so, whenever the craft growers are shipping their harvest. Do you think there's going to be any implications with, um, and this is another, I'm, I don't know why I'm asking so many speculative questions, but I am making sure to ask to be clear that I am just asking you to speculate. Um, do you think there's going to be any implications with dispensaries? I, I, the reason I'm asking this 
Hold on, let me ask my question first. Dispensaries opening up doors before there are more craft growers. And the reason I'm asking that is because I've heard, you know, I know some people that are applying for dispensaries and they're pretty vocal about uh, how much they don't, they don't like the current cultivators, right? And so it's almost like what what was what would be their incentive uh, to work with that shop? And um, you know, we I already see disparity between shops. You know, if you you go to you can go to a Revolution shop and they have all the Revolution products you'd want, but then you go down south around the area that I live in, and good luck trying to find Revolution. And and I guess what I'm trying to ask you to speculate is. Do you see that? How do you see that playing out? I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? No, if I'm just a independent operator, I'm going to have the product that sells. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I think it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, you know, and I hope that uh, you don't see like, cause I, I've, I truly believe one of the first uh, things, one of the things we haven't seen yet Um is a dispensary shut its doors. There hasn't been, there's, why would there, you know? Well, right, right. Many, there's 55 places or, all right, there's more than that now, but there was 55 sure. times 100, yeah. you know, two. Yeah, there's like a, a, a okay. 90 or something now. Yeah, they aren't all open yet, but, but there's, you know, between 55 and 110 uh, retail locations for a population of 13 million. You're not right. going to close. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I I guess what I'm what I'm thinking of, and maybe I'm going down a slippery slope, is I'm wondering if that's where we'll see it happen. And I'm only thinking it would come from maybe a disparity because some sort of relationship. But I don't know how accurate that is because, like you say, the cannabis sells. It doesn't matter what it is, it sells. And so if you you know, and people are going to sell it to you, you know. So, um, but yeah, again, just a speculative question. Those things are fun, right? So, um, here's another one that that I kind of gave you an idea that I wanted to talk to you about. What do you see? in the future uh of cannabis law just in itself you know do you oh, i know there's things going through the federal level right now standardization. and so like that's uh, now the standardization is only going to come from uh interstate commerce and additional um additional education and familiarity with the plant and so it'd be great if there was standardization so that it becomes more of a uh, here are the rules follow them this way you know, but uh, every state right now is putting its own little customization on the rules. And so that makes a patchwork quilt and that makes it just really frustrating. And so like if the federal government was like, you know, you're a class one this or you're a class one that or you're a class one this. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, all right, well, now the other states that haven't gone, they're going to be like, well, just adopt the USDA's. And I'm sorry, maybe it's not going to be the United States Department of Agriculture that's that's marketing it. I would say the USDA is the right venue. But that's only because we're talking about, you know, an agricultural commodity. And so um, there would be classes of various licenses so that you had paid your taxes or your whatever fee to the federal alias appropriately. And then they would create uh, standards so that when people are getting licensed or trying to stay regulatorily compliant, uh, there's like a federal framework that then a state adopts. That's the norm. Uh, for things like there's the uniform commercial code and then each state will adopt that and there's tiny tweaks on the inside but there's a standard form of uh, uniform commercial transactions and then it would be great if we had one of those but you're not going to get that type of thing unless you have a federal license right yeah Yeah, so um, 
I just saw that Chuck Schumer a few weeks ago was on uh, Al Harrington's Instagram stream. And Al Harrington, of course, owns Viola, um, which is a cannabis company that operates in a few states. Um, so they were talking about the Moore Act, right, which I saw you broke down on cannabis legalization news, a really great breakdown, by the way. Um, I'm hearing uh, maybe that they're going to try to take an approach or I was reading on marijuana moment.net. I'm not, I, I don't like to say I'm hearing cause then I feel like I'm Donald Trump. You know, I'm hearing uh, a lot and of people we don't are wanna, saying, yeah, a lot of people are saying um, channeling my inner bill Maher shout out to him. Cause I, I love that guy. But uh, so uh, you know, I was reading on marijuana moment.net. I think Kyle Yeager reported that um, at this point, it, maybe it's not realistic that the more act itself, the way it was written passes more. They're thinking that it'll more likely be a combination of the more act and the States act, which the States act had uh, bipartisan support. And I think it even maybe had banking, le- banking legislation uh-huh. in it. Um, yeah. What do you think? Do you think it's going to be something like that or what, what's it, what is it playing? Out? I honestly haven't looked into it in the past week or so. So we're um, going to see. Like, I'm not sure how it's going to shake out with Schumer and with uh, Senators uh, Ron Wyden and also uh, Cory Booker from New Jersey. But those are the three that are going to come out with what the Senate intends to do. And then we'll really know how they're going to what they're going to try to do. So I'm excited about that, but I don't know exactly what it is. And so like the speculation on that is, you know, let's get out a a can of worms and just throw it somewhere and see, (laughs) but uh, it's going to be neat. And that's going to be some big news. So stay tuned to that, man. And by, I don't know, I'm hoping by spring, by March, we'll have that platform from the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, And I, uh, I can't remember where I read this joke, but I'm excited for the banking legislation specifically because I want to buy weed with my Amazon credit card, you know? Um, (laughs) That that just sounds, that sounds so cool. And again, that's not my joke. That's somebody else's, but um, yeah, uh, I just, the, not only that, that was selfish. It's really like you think about those craft cultivators or those people that own dispensaries that are maybe sitting zoned and permitted, like I think they should have access to financial, some financial aid of some sort, uh, from either the, you know I think there is maybe some at the state level level maybe I, I'm not sure on that you'd probably be more versed on that but the, I know for a fact there's nothing on the federal level that's going to help any of these people out so um, that's kind of another reason I think that you know these people need access to funding I guess is what oh, I'm yeah. trying to say so. they do um, uh, and. I think that the safe banking act is probably going to be the thing that we really get out of the Senate. I'm not sure how much beyond that, but uh, here's how I kind of think it's going to go down. Um, they're going to have this thing in the Senate that the Democrats are going to put out and they may or may not get to it. And, and the Democrats in the house can vote on uh, their symbolic votes for the more act and for um, uh, the safe banking act again, like they did last year. Mm-hmm. And so then it's going to be, well, what does the Senate do? And the Senate may do nothing and then say, like, you know, we don't have the votes. So, like, you send more blues to the House and to the Senate in, in 2022 and we'll tackle cannabis prohibition. If you want marijuana legalized, vote Democrat in 2022. So that's kind of like I think they're going to try to stall it so they don't do the full thing until because I also don't think they think that they, the, the United States is mature and like ready for that yet. Yeah. But I think they're ready for banking. 
And so I think the banking is going to pass how a lot of the other uh, cannabis uh, legislation has lately. And that's through the omnibus spending resolution, usually uh, something that continues to fund the government. And so yep. they've been talking about it kind of quasi like that is the coronavirus, huge, big old relief package. Like everything gets thrown into that, you know, and then it's like, well, we can cut that out. We can cut this out. And like they, they said, the Safe Banking Act might get thrown into that. Safe Banking Act might get thrown into some of the budgets that they try to do then next year. And uh, eventually that might be where it ends up is uh, tacked to an omnibus uh, funding resolution to fund the government into next year. And then they, they tack it there like they did uh, with many other uh, legislation before that. I think that's how like the 2018 Farm Bill came about. That's how right. that, uh, that ban on the vape cards for the electronic nicotine delivery systems came about. And that's how the, uh, the funding of the Department of Justice would usually come about. They would stick it into the budget. So look for the omnibusness of, uh, of the budget or of something at Congress to include the Safe Banking Act as part of some type of deal. Yeah. Let's pass this as an omnibus and let's stop the omnibus because I don't like omnibus. <laughs> I'm just joking. Right. So, uh, but that's kind well, of a thing. Semi- else gets passed. I mean, that's right. why it all gets thrown into the omnibus because then there you it's go. Like, well, you want that. I want this. And so they all have their own bills and then they're horse trade. Yeah. Well, I was about to say that was a semi-positive note to end on. It still is, but it, I don't know. That kind of. <laughs> well, it's, it's the cannabis industry. I mean, uh, we're yep. very optimistic, but if we're realistic with how the laws are, they kind of suck. Yep. Yep. So Tom, remind us uh, where we can find uh, cannabis legalization news uh, on Facebook, YouTube, your website. Uh, you know it. Um, one of the things that they can go to is my law blog, CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and sign up for the newsletter there. There's also the same newsletter at CannabisLegalizationNews.com and sign up for that. Uh, and then like whenever you're asking the internet uh, a question about cannabis licensing in your particular state or operations, uh, hopefully a cannabis industry lawyer has an article on that and it comes up. Well, you can go to YouTube, Cannabis Legalization News and subscribe there or any uh, podcast provider that you enjoy. Uh, we just got listed on, what are we on now? Audible. There you go. Nice. Nice. Hell yeah. Well, uh, I just have to also say you're a great follow. This is, you know, I brought you on to have an episode, uh, you know, conversation with you. You're a great follow on Instagram. If you don't mind me plugging your Instagram, it's at cannabis industry lawyer. Yeah. Um, thank you. So yeah, uh, thank you, Tom, for setting aside the time today um, and your schedule. I know you're busy with a lot of cannabis, different cannabis things. You sound like you got the dream job. So I'm going to let you get back to that. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for uh, stopping by the Chillinois podcast. Oh, Cole, I really appreciate it. I really like to roll one up with you, man. Soon, Hell yeah. uh, when the coronavirus breaks. That's right, man. You you bet your you bet your bottom dollar. I'm coming to Peoria and. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll go. We're yeah, well, I mean, I used to be up in Chicago all the time. I mean, like the coronavirus literally was a, the responsible thing for kicking me out of the city. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, keep enjoying that home life uh, and uh, keep fighting the good fight, man. Cool, I, man. We love what you do. So thanks, Cole. I appreciate it so much. I'll talk with you soon. Yep. Take care.